I don't know if I'm the only one that wants to just keep singing this morning, but we've had a great song service, and we appreciate uh, all of our leaders and all the participation from everybody here. As was mentioned, we are continuing in a series of studies this month on the leadership of the church, and today I'm going to be talking to you about the qualities uh, of deacons. Uh, Those of you that are visiting with us, I hope you'll bear with us as we sort of get down in the weeds, if you will, this morning in our congregation. This is something that's very important to us. Um, something that we need to take very seriously. And as we can consider the qualities of deacons, I want to just, you know, kind of get into our minds the ultimate purpose of everything we do in this congregation, and that is to further the cause of Christ. That is to foster an environment where evangelism thrives, where the growth, spiritual growth and maturity of our congregation flourishes. And that's really what it's all about. So before we get into the details this morning, I just want to read the passage we find in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse number 8. The scripture says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Let those also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For they that have the use, they have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And this passage in Timothy, Paul has been instructing Timothy as an evangelist. And as he goes about ordaining elders and deacons, the qualities necessary in that. In the first seven verses of this chapter, he talks about the qualities of elders. And now he begins to talk about the qualities of deacons. And as we go through this process in our congregation of selecting leadership, we need to give very special consideration to these qualities. And as Brother Craig mentioned in his study the other night, we need to look out for men who meet these qualifications and not use this as an opportunity to sort of bash or criticize men who don't meet these qualifications. This is a very positive process this is, a very, this is something that's very uh, exciting for our congregation, and we need to look at it in the manner that God has put forth in his word. The word likewise there, he's basically saying, likewise, just as the elders are required to have qualifications or qualities, likewise, the deacons must meet certain qualities in their lives if they want to serve in the church. Before we dig down into the, the details of the qualities we have here, I want to talk a little bit just about the idea of of the office of a deacon. We're not going to get into the duties um, and the responsibilities of the deacons too much this morning, hopefully not very much, because Brother Jeffrey's going to talk to us about that Wednesday night. And I don't want to cross the streams there, but it's hard not to have just a little bit of overlap. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about God's desire for leadership in our congregation. In Titus chapter 1, verse number 5, Paul told Titus, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. As Paul instructs Titus, another evangelist, about part of his duties and responsibilities, he told him that I left you in Crete and I left you for the purpose to set in order things that are wanting or lacking in that congregation. So part of the duties and responsibilities of an evangelist were to go around from congregation to congregation and set in order things that were lacking, the things that the congregation needed. And chief among those that Paul talks about here is ordaining elders, and we can assume deacons in every city. And this wasn't just a suggestion. This wasn't, hey, it's a good idea to have leadership in your congregation. 
You think it might benefit you to have leadership in congregation. It was, Paul, this is the reason I left you there. This is the command of God. This is God's desire and God's will that each congregation of the Lord's church has a local established plurality of elders and deacons who provide leadership for that congregation. And it's important that our congregation has that. It does have that. And this process that we're going through now is to to continue that, to perpetuate that in the future so that we never find ourselves with a lack of leadership in our congregation. Many congregations have lacked leadership over the years. This congregation was one of those for a long time. I know when I first started going to church here many years ago, we don't need to know how many years that was, but it was, a, it was a quite a while ago. And when I first started going to church here, there was no established leadership. That's not to say that there weren't people in leadership roles, but we had no ordained elders and deacons here. And God has blessed this congregation greatly because we decided that it was time for us to do things his way and ordain elders and deacons in this congregation. And this congregation has been blessed because God has blessed us because we're doing things his way. I believe that with every fiber of my being, that leadership is an essential part of what the local congregation does. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, what we read here in Philippians 1 and 1. As Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. I want to note that the office of a deacon is separate but necessary to the office of an elder. Now, that's not to say that our goals and our purposes are any different. They're not. Again, those goals and purposes are to further the gospel. But the jobs that we do are very different, and they're separate. And I want to notice that because I think a lot of times we view the office of a deacon as sort of a career path, a career path to the eldership. You know, a lot of times when you're going through your jobs at a corporation, maybe you'll, you'll start out as in the mail room and then you'll move up and into another department. You move up and eventually you can move up and be a manager or maybe a vice president. The office of a deacon is not a career path. We're not, uh, I heard one person online mention it as a, we're not the minor leagues, okay? We're not the sod poodles and hoping to get called up to the Padres. Now, it often very do, often does happen where a man who has served as a deacon does end up serving in the office of an elder. That's just a natural process of growth and maturity. As a man, we work very closely with the elders. And as that happens and we grow spiritually mature and we study and we take part in certain things, of course, we're gonna develop those talents and, and maybe one day become an elder. But it certainly isn't a requirement. And it certainly is a requirement that if a man wants to be an elder, he has to be a deacon first or vice versa. It's not a requirement for a deacon to become an elder one day. And I think it's important we understand that because the office of a deacon is a very specific role that we have to support the elders and to help them in what they have to do. So let's go on into these qualities this morning. The personal character is where he starts in verses 8 through 10. Paul deals with the personal character of a man who's being considered for the office of a deacon. Verse number 8, likewise must the deacons be grave. So let's look at this word grave. And, you know, I think a lot of times when I think of someone being very grave, I think of, I think of this old man who's always serious. And he's got a scowl on his face constantly. He's got that wrinkle that's just built into his forehead over time. And he never laughs. He never makes jokes. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a man who is honorable, who is reverent. In fact, the New King James translates this as reverent instead of grave. Someone who's worthy of respect. Someone that you look at and say, that man, I would not be ashamed for that man to serve as a deacon in our congregation. Someone who lives a godly life, someone who has a good reputation, someone who holds themselves with dignity and with gravity and that befits a Christian. Something that 
obviously every Christian should be, but not always is. And so a man who's being considered for the office of deacon has to fit this quality, it has to be someone who is reverent and honorable and worthy of respect. I think we all understand that. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. That word double-tongued is not word we use in our language very often, but I think it's one of those words that immediately we know what it means. We think of, you know, the word I would use is a liar. We need someone who's honest. And I think sort of a literal translation of this word is, is someone who says one thing to one person and something else to another person. And as deacons, we can't be dishonest. We can't be someone who's inconsistent in our communication and deceptive in that communication. As we deal with the members of our congregation, there may be certain issues that come up and you know, somebody may come to me and say, hey, uh, what, are, what are we doing about this problem or why have we made this decision to do that? And I can maybe try to placate them and say something to them that, you know, that makes them feel better. And then somebody else may be on the opposite side of an argument and come to me and say, well, what do we think about this? And I might try to say something to them to placate them that's completely different than what I told the other person. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be consistent in our communication, honest, have honest, honesty and integrity in our communication. So this boils down to not using our tongues in a dishonest way, but to be honest and straightforward and open and consistent in the things that we say. Number three, not given to much wine. There's a, I guess, a sort of a humorous joke that goes along with the translation about the way the, the qualities of an elder, it says an elder must not be given to wine, and a deacon says not given to much wine. And so the deacons can have just a little bit of wine, but not, the elders can't have any wine. That's not what this is saying. And we're not in the subject this morning of debating about whether a Christian can take a drink of alcohol or not. Uh, I have my own opinions on that, and they'd be worth exactly what you paid for them, so we're not going to get into that. But what I do want to notice here is that it, this word given to means to adhere to to give oneself over to, in other words, to be addicted to or reliant upon alcohol, drugs, or any other substance that would cause a man to lose his sobriety and keep him from being sober-minded or clear-minded when it comes to serving in, as the, in the role of a deacon. You know, obviously, it shouldn't be necessary to complain why this is necessary. I mean, even businesses in the secular world have drug testing to show that people you know, don't have those kinds of habits because they know those people aren't reliable. No, they can't get things done because they're so dependent upon their addiction. Number four, not greedy, a filthy lucre. There's another word, lucre, that we don't use in our modern English language. That word filthy lucre just means dirty money. A man that's greedy of money and a man that's greedy of money in such a way that he's willing to do unscrupulous things in order to, to get more money. So greedy of money, especially ill-gotten. Again, I don't want to get into too much the duties and responsibilities side of this thing, but as deacons, we are responsible for the collection that we take every Sunday morning. We're responsible of, of gathering that together, of taking that to the bank, of dispersing those funds to evangelists and uh, for benevolent work and paying the bills and everything like that. Uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, Brother Larry has been leading our congregation in that effort for many years, even before he was a deacon. And everyone here has the utmost trust and respect for the job that he does in that. And, you know, you can't say enough of that. I mean, sometimes Brother Larry's not here. One of us has to take that. So we trust our deacons to take care of our money and our responsibility. A man who is greedy of filthy lucre doesn't need that temptation in front of him, doesn't need that kind of temptation. And we can't trust someone who's willing to do anything to make a buck. 
We have to have men of integrity and honesty that are handling the money that this congregation gathers. Let's move on to verse number nine. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. What is the mystery of the faith and how do you hold it in a pure conscience? Well, the word mystery here, as in many places in the New Testament, doesn't refer to some secret or hidden thing that nobody knows about. It refers to the once concealed but now revealed gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about a man's love of the gospel, his love of the truth, his love of the word of God. And he has to hold that in your pure conscience. In other words, he lives that in his life. It's not just words on a page to him. This man loves the word of God. He loves the gospel. He's spiritually minded, he's spiritually focused, and he's spiritually oriented based on God's word. And he's evangelistic in the things that he does. Now, it's not required, uh, as it is for an elder, it's not required for a a deacon to be apt to teach. That's not one of the qualifications we find listed here. An elder must be apt to teach, which, as Craig told us, means both publicly and privately. So it is not a requirement for a deacon to be a teacher of the congregation. Many times that's the case. Obviously, I'm a deacon, and I'm here this morning in the pulpit. But, you know, some deacons don't teach, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's not a requirement of a deacon. That's not part of his specific office that he's supposed to hold. But I think it is very important for us to realize and understand he gives one entire verse here, one entire sentence to the fact that a man who's going to serve in the office of a deacon has got to be spiritually minded, has got to love the Word of God, has got to live that and exhibit that in his life. Why is that important? Because when we think about the work that we do, it's very, you know, the physical needs of the church, the logistical needs of the church, you know, and we, look, we tend to look at men like, well, he's good in business, he takes care of money, you know, he has good communication skills, he's very organized. None of those things are listed in this passage, at least not to any great degree. And so when we look at a man to be a deacon, those things are, sure, they're benefits and they're qualities that are very helpful in the job, but what we're looking at here is personal character. And at the end of the day, our jobs as deacons isn't just to keep the lights on. It's to keep the lights on so that we can foster that environment of growth and maturity, that we're working side by side by the elders to how can we spread the gospel better? How can we enrich our congregation and make them grow and mature spiritually? That's the ultimate goal. And that's why a man has to be spiritually minded in order to serve in the office of a deacon, because that goal always has to be in mind. What I'm doing here isn't just about making things nice and neat and tidy. It's about serving in the kingdom and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number 10. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. So what this verse is basically saying, no Johnny come lately's in the office of a deacon, right? Craig talked about as an elder, not a novice, which means it's not a new convert. It's someone who knows the word of God, who's experienced, had a long time doing the things that, he's, that needs to be done. And so when we talk about a, a man who must first be proved, that word proved means tested, proven or tested over years of experience. And so a new convert, or maybe even someone who's new to this congregation, doesn't fit that for our con- congregation, for the very reason that our congregation doesn't know that person. We haven't seen that person over the years and prove what kind of person of character they are. Even if you had some man who'd been a deacon in another congregation for 20 years come to this congregation, we would not immediately ordain that man as a deacon or an elder, you know, if, if that's the case. 
because we just don't know that man. We need time to prove that man. We need time to test that man. And, you know, when we're talking a test, there's no Scantron card with a number two pencil to say he passed the test. It's just experience. So we need experienced, proven, and tested men. And he uses the word blameless. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about never making a mistake. It's a man who, over the course of years, has proven himself to show a pattern of behavior that he is a man that is grave and respectable, that he is not double-tongued, that he's not given to wine, that he's not greedy, and that he's a godly man that's spiritually minded. He's blameless in that, not that he's perfect, but not that he never makes a mistake, but that he shows a pattern of behavior, that he exhibits these qualities in his life. Okay, let's talk about family and home for just a minute. Let's start with the wives. First Timothy chapter three, verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. A lot of people in the world outside the church look in and they say, why don't your women get to do anything? <laughs> That's so funny to me. It's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Why don't your women do anything? Like our women just sit around and wait for their husbands to tell them what to do. It's ridiculous because our, women, our wives, especially in leadership, play such an amazing part in what we do. Our wives are such a, a supporting role that we, we literally could not do what we do without our wives. And it's so important to, be, to have not only men who meet qualifications, but also their wives who meet those qualifications as well in order for the, a leadership to function as it should. Let's talk about these words, grave and sober. We've already talked about what grave means. We've already talked about sobriety, you know, having a clear mind, honorable and reverent again, sober-minded. Sure, the, the substance abuse thing is part of that, but also just being clear-minded and not having things that distract us and take us away from doing what we need to be doing. <clears throat> Slanderers. So Brother Craig talked about this briefly last week uh, when he talked about you know, he was talking about, the, obviously, the wives of elders, but also the wives of deacons. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that, that elders and deacons are privy to that not everyone else is, and indeed, everyone else should not be. There are things that are told in confidence. There are things that happen that don't need to be spread around, that need to be kept secret. And we need deacons and their wives who are trustworthy and reliable to take that information and use it properly, and not spread it around, not be talebearers, not be gossipers, not be telling one person over here one thing, over here another thing. We need honest and controlled tongues from our men and our women. It's interesting, when I looked up the, I did a sort of a Greek, quick Greek word study, and this word is translated once here as slanderer. It's translated twice in the Bible as false accuser, and 35 times it's translated as devil. That was sort of a gut punch to me. I didn't expect that. And so, ladies, don't be devils <laughs> with your tongues. Men, don't be devils with your tongues. You know, the devil is, is, another name for the devil is the accuser, so that shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but I found it pretty interesting to think about that. So we need to be honest and controlled with our tongues. Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. What does that mean, faithful in all things? It means we're faithful to God. It means we're faithful to our family faithful to our church. We're fully trustworthy. That's what the word faithful there really means, trustworthy. They can be trusted with anything. 
If we can't trust the deacon's wife, how are we going to trust the deacon? It's, it's that simple. Let the deacons, in verse number 12 of 1 Timothy 3, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in the house as well. Husband of one wife. I don't want to beat a dead horse because I know Craig talked about this last week. Husband of one wife simply means you're currently married to one wife. That's all it means. And we don't have to infer anything about you know, church doctrine over marriage, divorce and remarriage or anything like that. The man is currently married to one wife. He's a one-woman man. He's faithful in his marriage. In his marriage. Not that he's a one-woman man and let the deacon be the boyfriend of one girlfriend or the fiance of a fiance. (laughs) He's married with one wife. And that's all we need to infer from that verse. He's a married man and he's got one wife and he's faithful to that wife. If a man can't be faithful in his marriage, how in the world are we going to trust him to have a leadership role in the church? It's as simple as that. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. That, I mean, there's a few differences, obviously, in, in the qualifications of an elder and a deacon, but there's a lot of similarities, and this is one of them. If a man can't con- control his own house... And we often look at this word rule in a negative context, like I'm ruling my house with an iron fist. It, it just means you're responsible. A man is responsible for leading his house and making sure that it's running according to God's, God's will and that things are in order and children are being disciplined and not running around crazy. The word of God is being taught there. And our household is being managed in such a way that if, if I look at a man's life and know him well enough, I can say, that man runs his household well, that man is, is leading his home, and therefore I know that he can lead in the Lord's congregation as well. Okay, before we move any further, I want to talk about, uh, just ignore that word conclusion on the left side there for just a few minutes. We're not quite there, but I didn't know what category to put this in, so we're going to put it here. Acts chapter 3, we find an interesting situation, and I want to mention it because I believe it's very directly related to what we're going to talk about. And I know uh, Jeffrey's going to be talking about this in more detail Wednesday night, so I'm not going to get into the really nitty-gritty details here other than to say in Acts chapter 6, we find the church of Jerusalem sort of in its infancy, if you will. I mean, and it's growing by leaps and bounds, and great things are happening. Uh, The apostles are there. Uh, ministering to the people spiritually, and it was just a great time of growth for the church. But what we find when you get to Acts chapter 6 is there's, there's so many people that are getting together now, and, and where people are, problems are. And we find some of the foreign Christians that are there who, where they say they're called either the Grecians or the, the Hellenists, basically Greeks that were there that were, 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 you know, they were Jews, but they spoke Greek, and then now they're Christians, and they're all different, they're they're all just gathered there together, and some of these people were complaining that their widows were being uh, neglected, if you will, in the dispersion of charitable goods and charitable funds. So anyways, long story short, the apostle says, we don't have time for this. Uh, we, want, we need somebody else to take care of this. And so in verse number three, it says, wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And I believe what we're seeing here is the the ordination of the first deacons. And we, as you go on through this story, it talks about how they looked out and they found seven people. Um, among those was Stephen, who we read about in more detail in the next couple of chapters. Um, but 
we, we see that these men were selected for a very specific purpose, and they were selected by the church in Jerusalem, by the congregation. It says, look out among you, among all you people, you look out and you find seven men who can do this job. And what are the qualifications? Well, seven men of an honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Now, somebody might say, well, that's a lot shorter list than what we just talked about, and it is. But if you take these words, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, and you drop them in somewhere to, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, they're going to fit somewhere. If you take all the qualities that we found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, and you bring them over here to Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, and you drop them in, they're going to fit somewhere in honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. This is a snapshot level view, if you will, of the qualities of a man who serves as a deacon. A man, if you look at it, who has an honest report, that's someone who is grave, who's not double-tongued, who's not given to wine, who's not greedy of filthy lucre. That's that kind of man, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's someone that holds the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That's someone that you can trust. And that's all they were doing in Acts chapter six. So I know there's some questions sometimes about, well, was this really deacons? And I believe it was. Um, I don't think we have to accept that as, perfect truth. If, if there's some questions about that, we can certainly discuss that. But I think most of the leadership here, in, in any case, and I don't want to speak for anyone, but we all agree that this is the ordination of deacons in Acts chapter 6. And so I think it's important for us to include that in our study this morning. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, read verse 13. He says, for they that have used the office of a deacon, excuse me, for they that use the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I think there needs to be a comma right after well in that sentence, but it's God's word, so I'm not gonna mess with it. <laughs> they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith. So what are we talking, what is this verse talking about? You can look at it and say, well, a deacon purchased themselves a good degree. And someone might say, well, does that mean we gotta put the deacons up on a pedestal? and admire them and say, these are great men and our congregation would be worthless without these men and we need, to, we need to reverence these men. Not at all. You know, the word deacon means servant. It's really all it means. And so if anything, it should be the opposite of that. We're here to serve the congregation and we're here to do it so that the word of God can flourish, so that the gospel can be promoted, so this congregation can grow spiritually. What this is saying here is a man who serves in the office of a deacon well has been blessed by God, by his talents and abilities to be able to provide that service to the church. And that man is blessed because of that, but also the congregation is blessed, not because of the man, but because God's will is being done in his congregation. Because the Lord's will for leadership in his congregation is being followed. And when we have godly men, spiritually minded men, who meet these qualities, who serve as deacons, the church is gonna benefit greatly from that. When we have godly men, spiritually minded men who meet the qualifications of an elder, the church is going to benefit from that. This isn't about lifting men up who serve in these offices. It's about saying this is God's will for the church and the church overall, the congregation, local congregation specifically is gonna benefit, benefit from that to a great degree. Once again, as we consider these things over the next uh, several weeks. I hope that you'll give special consideration 
Don't take my word for what we talked about this morning. I've done the best that I can in telling you what I believe these qualifications mean and how they apply. But it's up to each person, each family, individual to prayerfully consider the things that we've talked about. I heard an interesting example I want to use. Before we close, I was actually listening to an online sermon and talking about how, well, how do you look at these qualifications and and some of these are pretty straightforward. You know, a man is married to one woman. That's easy for us to see and to say, yes, he meets that qualification. But some of these, there may be some subjectivity involved in that. We might have to look at, it's an individual case-by-case basis, but we have to determine for ourselves, is this person qualified? What does it really mean to be grave? You know, is that person grave? Well, sometimes I think he is, but sometimes maybe I'm not so sure. I don't know. What does it really mean? And the thing that I really liked that I heard this person say was, you know, there comes a point of time during the day when it stops being day and becomes night. I can't quite put my finger on and tell you this is exactly when that happened, but I know when it's midnight. And I know when it's straight up noon. And I think for the most part, we can look at a man and we can look at him and say, that man is someone who's grave and reverent. That's someone who is not double-tongued. That's, not, that's someone who is not greedy of filthy lucre. That's someone who is a godly, spiritually-minded man who loves the word of God and lives it in his life. And those are the kind of men and women, their wives, that we need to fill these roles in the church. And I hope that you will prayerfully consider that as we go throughout the coming weeks. I mentioned earlier that the, the role of a deacon and responsibility of a deacon ultimately points to the spreading of the gospel and the spiritual benefit of this congregation. There may be someone here this morning who's never been obedient to the gospel, and we want to help you with that today, if that's the case. If you've been sufficiently taught and you know what you need to do, you're willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God and be buried with him in baptism, have your sins washed away, we want to help you with that this morning. If you need the prayers of this congregation for any reason, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.